slow down, flip us over, and celebrate. The Turn Turtles are here. Hello, and welcome to episode 17 of Hello. the Turn Turtles podcast. Well, we have Meech and Adam, along with myself, Matt or Mel. It's nice to have you here. Wait, wait, are you Matt or are you Mel? Yes. Okay. Actually, that's only the third time I've heard that in my whole life. So I've probably told you that before too. Yeah, you're you're the yeah. other two. Yeah. <laughs> Makes sense. When I oh, heard the story, me- I did find I, I felt very silly having not ever thought of that in the like <laughs> decades of knowing you. That that never to, even to, crossed my mind. To fill the listeners in, my brother in law was here and Matt's mom Donna works at the post office. My brother-in-law went to the post office, and my mom told him, told him to ask for me? Donna or Mel. And he asked, do I ask for Donna or do I ask for Mel? Hilarious story. And now everyone knows my mom and where she worked. And the address yeah, of his mom's home is 325 Evergreen Terrace. Oh, no. <laughs> Adam, what's on the table this week? This week on the table is uh, themes. We're talking about themes like we've talked about before, but we're talking about it in a bit of a different way. And we're going to talk about the things that we've been doing in the last couple of weeks. And we're going to talk about news that, nope, doesn't exist. No news. No news. Okay, Meech, what have you been doing the past couple of (laughs) weeks? Um, I got to recover from How that. How was that one. for a what's on the table? Oh, that, that was, was great. such a good what's on the table. My table feels so full. Nice. Um, so this past two weeks, board game day. It's board game <gasps> oh, day. Board game day. Was, so that nice. was no, that wasn't Saturday. That was a week. Anyways, um, yeah. So we did board game day, which was a day of playing board games. So there were lots of tables with lots of things. And we Mark Con ten. I'm going to start with one that I still can't get over how great it is. Creature Comforts by Roberta Taylor and art by Shauna J.C. Tenney. And the publishing company is called Kids Table BG. But Adam played with me along with our friends Greg, Kim and Aaron. And I don't really think it's a kid's game. What do you think, Adam? Um... Like, I think it's a little too complex for a kid. I don't know if I'd agree. It's not for young kids, but the essence of it is really just rolling the dice right and putting those dice in different spots. Yeah, so so basically the premise of this game is your goal is to make the comfiest cottage for winter, and you're all a woodland creature. So I was the raccoons, and they were adorable, and we did not make the coziest cabin. Oh, well. (laughs) But... It In essence, it's a worker placement game, but it's different because in most worker placement games, if, say, me, Matt, and Adam are playing a worker placement game, and Matt took one of his workers and put it on a spot on the board, that spot is now taken up, and me and Adam we would either have less chance or no chance to do that action this round. In Creature Comforts, that's not the case. You can have as many players as you want on one placement on the board. Which, it sounds weird, 
Mm-hmm. Especially for people who like work replacements, but I hate work replacements, so it's all good. Um, <laughs> but more what this game was about was collecting resources so you could buy cards, and the cards would give you points. Um, I was in love with this game, and full disclosure, I'd been in the hospital the whole night before and was hopped up on meds, so I might have been just a little over the top enthusiastic, <laughs> but I had a great time. So, um, but what these cards are, they're different cozy things. So the one thing I had was a rocking chair. But with a rocking chair, you got extra points if you also had the quilt. And if you had the quilt and the rocking chair and the slippers, you got extra points. So it paired these items that just naturally fit together to give you extra points. And it was very fun. I loved it. So this is Grandma the Game. Yeah, pretty much. And it's so good. <laughs> yeah. So I did, um, as a, and maybe a noteworthy comparison, I, I did enjoy the game quite a bit. It was very fun. It was very enjoyable. It was quite zen, I think I would describe it as. I think everyone at the table about halfway through realized that this was one of the least um, bitey, or what do we call yeah. that normally? Bitey games yeah, bitey. that maybe we've ever played because... You never really step on each other's toes. No. So as a worker work placement... I don't like this at all, but the game is very fun and it's enjoy. Like it's very well made. The art's very cute. Yeah. It's very warm feeling. Um, the meeples would, were wonderful. Yeah, the meeples were screen printed and wonderful. I would think yes, the main mechanic is technically worker placement, but if I put it on the table, I don't really think of it as a worker placement. It's more resource management. I think. Sure, yeah, I'd agree. But it's weird because it presents itself as worker placement. And a bit of set collection, it sounds like, or is that... Yeah, a little bit. Minor. That's a minor thing. I think that's more to drive the theme, but it works really well. Oh, yeah. Anywho, worth checking out. I don't know if it's available yet. It's a recent Kickstarter, so... But yeah. I also played Suburbia. So Suburbia is by Ted Alspach and Bezier Games. This is an older game. I think it's from 2012. I want to say I read somewhere. Um, and I've wanted to play it for a while. It's quite fun. Um, you basically have, I think they're octagonal city tiles. No, they're hexagons. They're hexagonal city tiles that fit (laughs) together. Um, and you're basically, you're basically buying them and placing them in your city and they will have effects on the other types. So for example, you will lose points it is very basically you will lose points if you put a factory tile beside a residence tile because no one wants to live by a residence really good game worth checking out um oh quacks of quedlinburg i have wanted to play this game since it was announced and i finally played it at board game day for the first time it is by wolf game warsh and it is by produced by schmidt spiel um, it is both big bag building and push your luck. So you're taking these, you're basically a crackpot doctor creating a potion to tell people that you're going to heal them. Um, and through the game, you're buying potion ingredients and putting them in your bag in like this little fabric bag you have, shaking it up. And then you have to draw from the bag and place them in your cauldron as you pull them out of the bag. And if you pull white tiles equal to seven, you go bust. 
or above seven. So you're pulling out all these different colors. Yeah, it's hilarious. You're pulling out (laughs) all these colors and getting these combos from the reds and the greens and the purples. But if you hit above seven with just the white ones, you bust. It's very fun. Much simpler than I expected. Yeah, I've played Quacks before as well. And it feels almost filler plus. Like it's, it doesn't take super long. Like it's less than an hour for sure. Oh yeah. It's not very complex at all. You're definitely, it's, it's more push your luck than I generally like and lucky. Like you're drawn out of the bag, of course, but only ever what you've put in and you always decide when you're going to stop. So it's not like, yeah, it's, it is very lucky, but also different powers from the different colors of ingredients you're putting in mitigate that. So there's one that lets you undo the last white tile you pulled. Right. So I agree with you, but I think the level of luck isn't too bad for the length of game, which if everyone knows it, I think you could do in half hour, 45 minutes. Sure. And it is possible in the very last round when you have like 20 tokens in your bag to pull all the whites first and bust. Technically. Yes. That that's the only reason I think I dislike it, but it is very light and fast and enjoyable for sure. Uh, the other game I just wanted to talk about quick because there was a couple of cool things. Um, our good friend Daryl got me an early birthday present, which is <gasps> wonderful. So it's another villainous expansion. We've talked about villainous before. This one is perfectly wretched. Um, again, by Prospero Hall, Stephanie Straw, and released by Ravensburger. Um, this one includes Cruella DeVille from 101 Dalmatians, um, Mother Gothel, who is the witch from Tangled, and Pete, who is from Steamboat Willie, um, which is hilarious. So it's just like super original Mickey Mouse. I almost said Mario there. That's wrong. Super original <laughs> Mickey Mouse. So the two things I wanted to mention, Pete's board is really cool because it's it's completely black and white like the film was. Like the art oh, is really yeah. crisp, but it's full black and white. So Lee was playing, and every time I looked, I was kind of thrown off because my board was so colorful as Cruella Deville. And you look at Lee, and it's just pure black and white, and it's really cool, except for some of the text. But yeah, really cool. Um, and something Daryl mentioned, which I thought was really cool. I always just assumed they did screen grabs from the movies for this artwork, but it's not. It's actually original artwork for this game that's just, it looks very similar to the movie, which I thought was really cool. It's just a good touch. They didn't just screen grab random animation shots. They they made it work with the game, which I really appreciated. Yeah, that's way better. I played a lot more games, but I'm not going to ramble on. <laughs> so how many new games did you play at MarkCon? New uh, to you I, only, I only played one repeat, and that was Root. So I... Ugh. Oh, and I played Camel Up. I probably played five new games. Oh, wow. Four or five. That's, that's the dream. That's what I go there to do. Wow. Nice. Speaking of which, never, never, (laughs) never try to learn a new game while with an earshot of someone else trying to learn your game. 
Greg was trying to learn and teach Fort, which is not a straightforward game, while Mark was teaching me Suburbia, and it was very confusing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's funny. All right, Adam, how has your week been? It's been pretty good. Uh, At MarkCon, I only played one new game, but I did watch Adam play Suburbia, so I got a decent amount of exposure to that one it looked it looked Idiot okay they're going crazy i tell them telling if i'd be able to if i would like it based on what i saw but um so i guess what i'll talk about first is what i played new at mark con and that was uh oh yeah so you already you already covered creature comforts so we spoke about that oh, good that was fun um I also played both Gizmos and the Bean Game, which I hadn't played in probably like 20 years. Uh, oh, I so won good. both of those, which is not something I typically do. But uh, the Bean, the bean game game's Bonanza. Bon- yeah. Yeah. So I, <laughs> I felt extra good because I played the Bean Game with like it, all of Mark's family and I still won. <laughs> I love that game. So, yeah. I, I, remember, I remember being very sick of it. Back in the day, yeah, it, I had a lot of fun jumping back in and remembering how it all worked. Uh, so that was good. I think probably. So I have two new notable things. One is only tangentially related to this, but I'm going to quickly talk about that. I have recently discovered play by post D and D. Going to cost you a lot of stamps. how long have you been sitting on that one no that just popped in my head and i'm so proud of it that That was a good one well done uh so i was i was aware that people used to play on forums like DD, and that this was a bit of a thing what i recently discovered is how popular it is in discord now and there's actually a bunch of like really advanced bots and add-ons for Discord that pull in stats from your character sheet and do rolls and track mobs. And there's all little communities in Discord, especially for all this kind of stuff. So I've jumped into that recently, and I've been having a lot of fun uh, having like so, D&D in my pocket all day long. I've always been extremely hesitant to try this because I feel like if you're in a combat and you do one post and then the next guy takes like six hours... And then yep. actually it takes three so, hours. I think getting in, like starting this up, everyone I think is aware that this is going to be like glacially slow compared to playing normal. Yeah, so, I, that does not appeal to me, but I'm actually really happy you're trying it because it does interest me a lot. Yeah. So the point isn't that you're sitting down and you're having like a gaming session. The point right. is that you have something that's always kind of going on in your pocket and then when something happens, you get to check in. Uh, in in all of my experiences so far, like apart from evenings, it's way faster than five hours. Um, usually, it's probably at least once an hour. Someone is doing something, which almost gets to be a bit fast, actually. Um, but I'm having a lot of fun doing it. Uh, the DM running it is pretty cool. There's even add-ons to pull in bots to make NPCs that will talk. Uh, for the dm with like different names and faces and stuff so it's like you're talking to a person like texting with another person almost the things that they've built into this are quite impressive and i'm surprised at the infrastructure that exists and it's it's pretty neat 
But where did you find oh. out about this? Like, how did how are you doing it? Uh, that's a good question, actually. The Discord. I know. I don't remember. Um, I know D and D Beyond, which is um like the online website for all the D and D content and stuff. They have a bot for Discord. I know that's that was a big way Discord got started with it. Called well, yeah, Avray think, or something. Yep, that's the that's the one that everyone uses for sure. So you use yeah. your D and D Beyond stuff, and there's um, commands that will look at your stats, do the roll for you, and then also apply the damage to whatever mob you're attacking and keep track of and the ship and all that stuff. It'll be interesting to see how it evolves because Wizards of the Coast, who creates D and D, just bought D and D Beyond. So yeah, yeah. that means it'll all be integrated. So it'll be interesting to see how it progresses. Yep, and it's well, that's been a lot of fun. And, just a bunch of you and your friends that are doing that. So Come I'm playing with mostly strangers, but people stranger that danger. Are, are in another group that I'm in that I kind of have come to know a little bit. Stranger danger. So I'm interested in maybe trying to run one someday, but it's pretty oh, okay. niche. Obviously, almost everyone I've spoken to said get lost. So, <laughs> including you guys, like that you've tried to invite. To right. Dangerous, dangerous thing. I'm, I'm interested. I just know I would do one or two turns and then never open it up again because I was bored. Or not even think sure. about it. Like, what if you yeah. just forget for a day and a half? Then like, everybody's waiting on you. When I play D and D in person, I sometimes have my characters die because I got bored with them and want a new one. So I don't think this would be for me. Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> but so to I am very question, excited I to hear how it goes. Turned on. So yeah. when something happens, I can just look at it and see. Oh, yeah. yeah I, guess I, I do that. think it's a really cool idea. Like, and I do understand the appeal. Um, And then the other thing I played at Matt's house was The King is Dead. You're probably oh. going to talk about this, Matt. But well, I loved can, this game. We can uh, do a, a duo on it. So this yeah, is you guys the should... What? Go for it. We, we should continue doing what we're currently doing. <laughs> this is The King is Dead, second edition, designed by Benoit Billion. I'm assuming it's Billion and not like Billion. Published Bouillon. by Osprey Games. Or Bileon. Bileon. And cool. <laughs> if we can quickly explain it, The King is Dead comes in a box that is at least. 13 times bigger than it needs to be. <laughs> and the box itself is not even that big. Like it's a half a Dominion box type size. But it's like a deck of cards that's not even as big as a normal deck of cards and a map board that's about as big as a regular notebook paper page. Right. And then a little baggie of cubes and that's it. But it comes in like half a Dominion box, which is ridiculous. But on the map is... Uh, map of Britain minus Ireland. What's this game? I thought you were talking about King's Dilemma. Never mind. I'm oh, back on board. Got it. This is the one that yeah. you played as well. Mish. This is the one that yeah. I have different opinions on. <laughs> yeah, we played with uh, the two Adams, Hannah and myself. And we played a game and a half. So it's got the uh, England and Scotland map divided into different territories. And then you have the um, blue, red, and yellow cubes representing the Scots, the English, and the Welsh. And then 
you're supposed to, in a four-player game, be on teams of two. And we didn't know that at first. So we were playing the game just 1v1v1v1, which became really crazy. There are also tokens in France. Oh, yes. What were they called again? They were the Black Insurrection Division. Invasion, right? Invasion. Well, they caused an invasion. Unrest. There was like unrest. unrest. That's what it is. Nailed it. So then at at the... uh, You weren't going to rest until you nailed it. Everybody gets like five cards plus three. So whether that's the three base cards that you normally get, or you can... Once everybody has played regular boring mode, you can put those cards aside and get everybody will get three unique cards so that nobody has the same type of hand. And then you play in a circle. So until everybody is passed and then you finish that, that will finish the round. And then you decide who has control of, of the first region that's up. And then whoever, whichever cubes have the most there, you remove all the cubes and you put a disc of that color. And then at the end of the game, you decide how many, like who has of the Welsh, Scottish, and English, who has the most control of the most territories. And then whichever player has the most influence over the, over the winning... Oh man, that's going to be confusing <laughs> to listen to. Wins the game. By playing the game, you can win. So the thing that I found most interesting is that your hand of cards that you have at the beginning of the game is all you get for the rest of the game. And you can only ever play each card once. So if you are technically allowed to play all of your cards before the first territory is even decided, but then you just sit there and do nothing the rest of the game. And I thought that was super fun, super interesting. Yeah, so the real that's the real crazy balancing act in this game is that you have the limited hand and you're allowed to pass on your turn. And when everyone passes in a turn, then the fate of a region is decided, right? So the balancing yeah. act is deciding, do I want to use one of my very limited cards to influence something before a permanent part of the game gets locked in? Or do I let things happen and hold my power till later? And trying to balance the now with the future is a real mind game. And I found it very interesting to try to figure out what might happen. Mm -hmm. I should have just let you explain it because that was succinct and wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) I really, really enjoyed this game. I can't wait to play more of it. Meg, what did you think? hated it. <laughs> For everything you just I still don't understand how to win. I don't get it. It doesn't make yeah. sense to me. And I think what Adam is saying is why. So Adam is saying he loves it because you I see I can't even regurgitate what he said because it's just I don't get it. But to play this game, you have to be able to look at your hand of cards and uh, think about turns like three or four turns ahead or further but nothing you do actually is on the board you have to be able to hold it in your head because if i do something so if i say i add one yellow cube to a territory by the time it's my turn again that yellow cube probably doesn't exist anymore 
And so I have to remember that I did that and why I did that so that I can use another card or change my strat. It just, there's so much of it that's abstract, even though the board is there. And I just, I know it doesn't work for me. <laughs> I don't like it. Like I sat there just lost and played random cards that I thought would be funny and screw with everyone else. Cause I had no idea what to do. Which was also fun. Well, yeah, it always is. <laughs> but if that sounds interesting to you, look it up. It is for 30 bucks right now on bookoutlet.ca. So I would totally recommend getting it. There's lots of copies available there. And I don't think you'll be disappointed. Uh, Adam, if you are done your weeks, then I'll quickly run down mine. Yep, I quick just for out of interest, I quickly looked and it's rated at a seven point eight on Board Game Geek. That is yeah. a high rating. What's the complexity rating? It's very high. Um, complexity is the weight is only two point one five. Way too low. Hmm. I don't agree. Well, you should rate the weighting. That'll make a difference. It does say best <laughs> three, and I would. I think I can see why that would be the case, like playing on your own, but not with four people. Three player, yeah. I can see that being the sweet spot for sure. I think a two player game would also be fun, kind of yeah. like a chess match, but actually yeah. enjoyable. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Burn. Uh, okay, so at MarkCon X, I played one new to me game, and I was really hoping to get a whole bunch of new ones, but. I had a lot of fun. So the first new-to-me game that I played was Calico. And I may end up talking about this as when we get into our themes game, so I'm not going to talk about that one much. It's a puzzle. That's all that one is. It's just a figure out the puzzle and win. The other games that I played were The Downfall of Pompeii again, so Quest for El Dorado. And Downfall of Pompeii is great. This I, is I can't get enough of that game. <laughs> the Quest for El Dorado, which is a deck building, but also race game. And it's just been announced that there's coming down the pipe is a new expansion for that, which Ooh. has like alligators and rapids that you can only go one way. And I can't wait. Um, I'm going to get it for sure. Played some So Clover and a game of Brass Birmingham that took from like seven o'clock till midnight. Oh, my word. That took way too long. I don't know why it took so long, but that game is still fun. I enjoy Brass Birmingham. I don't think I did very well in it. Oh no, I did okay. I was I was third, I think, out of four people. But everyone was like here. cleaning up, and you guys were still just sitting there all alone, like <laughs> trying to work yeah. through this game. Yeah, it was fun. Um, we played a little bit of the Crew Quest for Planet Nine again because we're trying to get through. The whole a good game. book campaign thing. Actually, Adam, that was your first time playing it after we played The King is Dead. Uh, which one, sorry? The Crew Quest for Planet Nine. That was oh, right. Yes, game. I forgot about this one. I liked it. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I, don't, I think it gets better as the missions get harder, but also as you start understanding more about how to play a cooperative trick-taking game. Because I'm, I'm very used to playing Specifically who you're playing with, it changes. Sure. Yeah. Like there's absolutely. a significant difference between playing with you and Hannah and playing with Daryl, Zach, and Steph. Like it's a very different game. 
right. which is kind of cool. I like it. Yeah, I like that too. And then the it last game neat. I want to cover. Oh, you go ahead, Adam. I've I've played quite a bit of euchre, but that game was neat because, like the the how it worked was explained to me, and then like the first round is like no brainer easy, right? But yep. doing that first round, I still was like, I have no idea what is happening right now. Mm. So that game was a neat experience, and like having the things click click in my brain very slowly, like okay, like the pieces fall into place very well with how quickly the difficulty in that game ramps up right and i the brilliance in the just a couple of rounds that i saw the pre-made rounds from from the designer was was pretty neat and well done mm-hmm. yeah we look forward to doing more and more and more and more and the last game i want to touch on is parks by henry audubon and keymaster games Last episode, I had talked about it a little bit because I played a solo game. And I just want to touch on it again because I have since played a two-player game with Hannah. And it was definitely better uh, as a two-player game than as a solo game. Probably just because of Hannah, because she's great. There is an expansion coming out, and there is a game called Trails, which is the same thing, but different hiking trails, which is kind of cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I think I'd be more interested in the hiking trails one, but I'll have to look that up. I wish they'd make a they should make a Canadian edition because all the parks in parks are the American national parks, right? Like Yosemite I think, and I think I had a dream about I know. a Canadian edition, and the art was terrible. But that was my dream. We would just have Group of Seven do all of it, and we'd hate it. Hate it? I love Group of Seven art. Yeah, but not for a board game. Maybe for some of the board game. We got something going here. We do? I own two Group of Seven prints. Nice. Yep. My, my mom has one. Cultured. Got All one of right my art are Julie Bonfire originals. And Uncle <laughs> Dave. Oh, and yeah, and Opa Dave. Yeah, that's true. And one Jesse. All right. So the theme this week of our podcast is themes (laughs) and i think we discussed it a little bit and we're gonna touch on different points of theme but it's not necessarily going to be all encompassing for sure so we may end up coming back to themes in future episodes because there is so much to talk about yeah there's way too much to talk about that you can't really discuss in one episode especially an episode that we've talked for half of it about what we've played this week so i think i'll kick i'll kick us off with just a general overview of the games that i have i put them all in a spreadsheet or most of them in a spreadsheet And then I put the theme, and then I calculated it all out. I have 12 fantasy, 8 war, 5 historical, 4 sci-fi, and then 2 and 1 and 2 and 1 and 2 and 1 of the rest. So the theme that I own most is fantasy, but that includes things like um, Above and Below, Near and Far, that kind of fantasy from Red Raven games. Um, I've got... Dominion in there, Fox in the Forest, Gloomhaven, The King's Dilemma. Like, there's 
a whole bunch of different fantasy in that. But I guess fantasy is my favorite theme. I don't want to say that because I love sci-fi in space more. It's interesting that you ask this question. I have never bought a game based on its theme specifically, I don't think. Other than photosynthesis. Like, it is interesting to do what you did, though. Like, if you think you like fantasy and you try to see, well, what have I done? And you look at your collection. Like, yeah, it, 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 there's probably a good chance that for a lot of people that subconsciously drives the kind of things that you're going to maybe buy or not buy, right? Right. And I constantly tell Hannah I've got no sci-fi games. Why? Like, we need to buy some sci-fi games. And then she's like, we have Beyond the Sun. We have, let's see. Battlestar Galactica. Battlestar Galactica, Race for the Galaxy, Terraforming Mars, and Beyond the Sun are the ones that we have. But I keep telling her, we have none. Space Space. Oh, there's another one. What's the Star Wars one? The Rim? Um, Oh, I have a Star Wars miniatures game. But I don't really count that because it's up for sale. Like Some of the games that I have up for sale, I'm not putting in this list because I don't really want to play them anymore. Like... I like I look at my games and I have like betrayal is on one end of the spectrum, but photosynthesis is kind of on the other. And I have a few train games, but then I also have like um, power grid, which is super mechanical. Right. Like I so might it's put, an interesting question. I've got two city building games and I might put power grid in that category as well. Like what founders of Gloomhaven is based on the theme of Gloomhaven. But it's so a city it is, building game. It is a fantasy game, but you're building a city in it. Like, that's the theme of the game. Right. But the fact that it's fantasy, I think, is still relevant. Yeah, I think so, too. So that could be another one. So that's 13. But I don't know if in Founders of Gloomhaven it is. In other games, I would agree with you. But that one specifically, I don't think I agree. Because it is very much just building a city. Yeah. From what I remember the one time we played it. Right, you could, I mean, just... Three years ago. <laughs> you could have made it Chicago or something. Like, there's nothing that yeah. necessarily makes it in the Gloomhaven universe other than the art that has been used in it. But I, I did think this is weird, and I think one of the reasons that fantasy is... almost doubles my next highest theme is just the prevalence of it within the board game space. Like, if you look on board game geek i'm sure or in your local board game store fantasy is probably the biggest theme that's out there i mean zombies maybe but no zombies zombies only seems like it because there's so many games under the zombie game like zombie dice yeah well i think i think what happens is when the hobby started, it really crossed like it. It was a cross section of people who also enjoyed like D and D and Lord of the Rings fan, Star Wars, and so if that's where the starting point is, the themes are going to revolve around there. Whereas right. I think recently we're seeing a lot more nature based games like Ark Nova, Earth, Arboretum, Photosynthesis. Mm-hmm. Osk, those kinds of games. So I think it's I think it's all based on parks, the fan base, yeah. like trains as well. Like as much as it's a stereotype, a lot of people who are super into fantasy also enjoy trains, and I'm part of that number. And there's a lot of train <laughs> right. games. 
Yeah. I mean, also, you can't deny the fact that trains just make a really good mechanic for a board game. But. Yeah, I think if you're going to try to find a game that has a really good theme that matches the mechanics of it, like the best you could do is probably a train game. Well, so, for example, one of the games I listed was Maglev Metro. Because Mm -hmm. it's a train game, but it's a subway train game. So rather than doing a pick up and deliver like most train games, you're creating a subway so people can go to work. But also in most, it has the aspect of because it's a subway game, you can lay tracks on top of each other from different players and occupy the same space. And it looks like a map in the end. Mm hmm. So all of the, and you reallocate your workforce to make sure the subway is running well. So I find with that game specifically, all of the mechanics tie so well with the theme. Right. And it's a train game. Maglev Metro is a pickup and deliver game as well, though. It it is, it is pickup and deliver, but the theming of that pickup and deliver works really well with the subway. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. Because yes, it's oh, workers okay. going to their office and robots right. getting to work. For sure. I think that the other, like, if if you're going to pick one theme that matches, like, or one game that matches its theme and mechanics perfectly, and I think we may have had this question when Lee wrote in one time, but now we've had time to think about it a little bit. What game do you think perfectly matches that? You th- you think that's Maglev Metro? Like the top I tier think Maglev, that you've played I think, anyway. I think it's up there. I think it very yeah. well matches. The other one I, I th- was think I was thinking of was Dead of Winter. Oh yeah. So Dead of Winter is basically your it's semi-co-op, so there can be a traitor, but you're basically defending a base against a zombie apocalypse. And there's just a couple things in there that make it really good um if you want to search for stuff you make noise which means there's a chance of a zombie attacking you for instance right it i don't know yeah i i hadn't really no i gotta think about that game adam have you played dead of winter nope no so in it you're going from like your main base you got to go out to get supplies from six or so different locations but at each location there is a different um i want to say variability within the deck that's there of things that you could get so at the gas station you're more likely to get the fuel that you need but at the library you're more likely to get the books and at the police station you're more likely to get weapons that kind of thing yeah I, i i like that part of it too that's pretty cool I think if I had to choose one, I'd probably pick Root. I mean, Root and other coin games are probably the highest. Like, if you think about the different political and anti-political groups that Root is supposed to represent, like with the the Woodland Alliance being that grassroots faction that they put out sympathy tokens in each clearing and it represents the different woodland creatures having sympathy for your faction and then 
so much so that they explode and revolt in an open revolt in each clearing. And then it's like the people are rebelling against the Erie dynasty and the Marquis de Cat. They all sh- like very well. They show who they are in how their faction plays out. Root is an interesting one, but also war games, because this is where it kind of gets fuzzy is. I know Matt, we've had the discussion before of is a game, a game or a simulation. And a lot of those coin games feel like simulations. So yes, their theme is amazingly accurate because they didn't build a game with a theme. They built a, they took a theme and built a game. If that makes sense. Sure. Not saying that detracts from it. It's just an interesting, like with Root, it's very much a war game built on different types of factions, like archetypical factions through history. Right. So it lends itself to this. Now I'm just trying to think of what the difference between a game and a simulation is. (laughs) That's a whole different discussion. I (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Adam, do you have a game that you think perfectly matches the theme? Um, with its I went down a bit of a rabbit hole with this after I started thinking about it. And I'm not sure if this no. is going to be semantically silly or if this is... Yeah, I really don't know. This, this is, is silly or controversial. I love that. But I so we have like for 16 episodes now fairly regularly talked about mechanics that match a theme. I think we've said that many, many, many times. And I'm starting to doubt whether that's actually ever the case. And this is where it gets either semantically silly or controversial. But I think in in almost every example that I can think of, it's not that the mechanic actually matches the theme of a game like by chance, but it's that the theme of a game was composed and written and designed to make the mechanic fit. So... It's it's kind of analogous to just good writing in a book, right? So to take your example of Root, where you have the lizard cult, right? They either sacrifice or convert. And that's your take a dude or add a dude, which mechanically exists everywhere. But in the theme, they've added the really colorful description of sacrificing and converting. So it's not that the mechanic of adding a dude matches that theme very well it's that the theme has been written to incorporate it very well and the more i thought about it is that seemed to kind of be the case for almost everything i could think of um and i think in most cases it's going to come down to just good writing or good art it's like it's a it's a kind of a mix of your your game design your art design your writing even your rules. If you think of something like Munchkin, turning over a card is kicking down the door, right? Right. You're, you're just turning over a card, but the theme of the you know they've they've taken that thing and they've made turning over a card match the theme with how the rule is written. It's not that right. the, the mechanic matches the theme of you know entering a dungeon. They've just written it well. But I agree with you. But what's the point of the? of a book, of a novel specifically. A point of a novel is to evoke this world in your mind and to let you imagine it so that you can be connected to this world. Same thing right. in a board game. If oh, it sure. serves the pur- if it serves the purpose of you feeling like you're kicking down the door, 
then yes, the theme and the mechanic are intertwined. I, I agree with what you're saying, and I agree that it's a sign of a good design. But in my mind, or and in my mind, a game is better when they've written it so well, like you're describing, that I can't imagine it with a different theme. Because then right, you're but that's, in but this that's world. actually my point. Historically, we've spoken that the mechanic matches the theme. And what I'm saying is that I'm not sure that's maybe ever the case, but it's actually that the theme has incorporated the mechanic. The arrow is facing in, in the other direction, right? Oh, I see. So the theme is kind of including the rules and the descriptions and the, the text on a card and how the art looks. All of these things are taking mechanic and making it fit, but it's not that the mechanic you know, See, is, is somehow I, special in this case. It's the way that I, they've incorporated it. But I think, I think that's a way of thinking, and it depends how you design a game. So if I think of a game like Photosynthesis, if I was to design it, I wouldn't start with the mechanic of, okay, I want this person to be able to take X and multiply it three spaces away. How it would pop into my mind is I'm walking in a forest and I think about a pine cone falling and that's my theme. And now how can I make that accurate in a game? Right. Well, it's it can the same throw thing. Three spaces. Well, no, you have because the description saying, and now you're trying to describe how am I going to take this thing I want to do and match it with something. Right. But I started with theme, not mechanic. So that's, that's, that is what I'm saying. But you just said you're pointing the arrow the other way. Right, so that theme incorporates the mechanic, not the other way around. And I think that's what you're saying now, too. Does that make sense? I don't know if I've ever thought about it. I've never thought about it as one leads to the other. I've just thought about it as intertwined and one experience. So, like, to take the example I just gave with the lizard cult and root, I mean, you could have had a far less thematic way of adding a dude and taking away a dude, right? You can have that mechanic be exactly the same, but you can have it be less thematically intertwined if you don't describe it as converting and sacrificing. Game if you call it not as good, uh, just make a, it. If you call it make a friend or <laughs> a you know, friend that's comes, the and a friend goes. <laughs> right? It's the exact same mechanic, but the right. theme is different, right? Yeah. So I had a few other examples just to, you know, for fun here. So inside, we've talked about often the story cards. The story cards are really just giving you some gold or taking or adding something away from you. But the theme is the little story that's behind it. The mechanic is there's nothing special there. But it's the little theme that they've decided to write around it. In the game like Small World, um, you have races which can... Uh, move faster and multiply faster or uh, die faster or live longer. So obviously you have to have races that are different. So you, have, you have to have different races, right? Things need to be not all the same. So you just take those things and you match it with a race in the theme that matches. So the things that live long are big, heavy dudes made of rocks. And the ones that have lots and millions of them are some rat people, right? So you just take the mechanic and then you sort of, cover it over with your theme and make it fit. And uh, I think that also Maybe. fits with the, the way that I've heard game designers talk is that usually they spend uh, painstaking time 
with like with the design on like pen and paper and like just kind of seeing how the math works and seeing how does this mechanic feel and then they take that and then they sort of like color in the with crayons and they say well this is going to be birds and then uh when you lose your hand uh that's going to be when your government collapses right it's not that losing your hand matches a government the birds and root have been described to incorporate when you lose your hand what is that actually it sounds yeah, but- like we like Meech and I love the theme in games, probably to a fault. So when we look at a game, we look at the theme and we see how the mechanics really match that theme. And that decides a little bit whether we like the game or not. Right. Huge part but of it. With Adam. I, mean, that's, I think that's as, who, as true for me. I'm just doubting what I've been thinking up until now. Right. But I think that your love of the abstract might come into this a little sideways like you love chess which has right. half half a percentage of theme because it has names for its pieces right but like then you can see how like you could write a whole theme for chess oh yeah right like yeah. like the the knight who is a horse horses only ever move in an l shape in real life so then what do we call that piece that can move in an L shape? Well, you call it a horse. However, when Meej and I look at chess, we say that is a horse and horses only move in an L shape. So then that piece can only move in an L shape. And it, it, yeah, it can go both ways, depending on which way you start. Whether right. you start with the mechanic in your head or whether you start with the theme in your head. So I guess it's not so much that what I think I'm starting with, it's that like there's nothing special about turning a card over, right? Like there's nothing that match like looking if you if you had to just take I'm turning over a card, what does that match in in the real world? Right. And the answer is there's no answer. It's silly, right? Yeah. It has to go the other way. It's how do I make turning over a card feel good in my game, right? And then you incorporate that some way. If you start out wanting to have card flip in your game. Right, but you, you can replace that with anything, right? Like, I've, if I'm adding a dude to my game, if I'm uh, if I have pieces that have more pieces than another person, how do I make that fit in? If uh, someone totally, is weaker than someone else, how does that fit in? And I totally get that, but why do you have those things? Why do you have more people in this faction than that faction? Like you just start out you want that and then you write in a theme for it like for me in root i feel like the game has been written and then mechanically made with the different factions in mind so they wanted a grassroots revolting faction and they thought how can we do this as thematically as possible with the mechanics i have zero interest in playing root without the theme that it has that sounds awful to me Right, and that's not what I'm suggesting. Like if it was just regular people. Yeah, that sounds terrible. I, I think you're saying the same thing I am, but just from a different way. Like what you're saying, I think is still true in what I'm trying to suggest. You can still start right. with a the theme, right? And then you can maybe see what is what feels funnest, but you're still trying to incorporate your theme around whatever mechanic you choose. Mm-hmm. See, I disagree no, I, with, I, yeah. I don't agree with that all the time. 
I think there's lots of cases where a game where they started with the theme and they built this world and added mechanic to it. I think that's still the same thing that I'm saying. <laughs> I don't think it is, though, because you're saying they write it all down in pen and paper with all the math and then they make a theme work to it. No, 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 That's no, what no, you said earlier. Oh, that's totally what I, I got as well. That's exactly how you said it. <laughs> Whatever I said there didn't come across properly, but what I was okay. trying to say previously was that I think like if you take the, the you know, the cards in root, that could just as likely be dice if someone wanted to make that work, right? So that mechanic can be this or that. It's just how do you want to incorporate it into your little story? My, my, my Really, my only point is that there's nothing in any mechanic that matches. And that's always how we've spoken about it. But in my head, there it does match. And I think that's because maybe... But it's because the theme has made you think that. Hmm. I th- I think it's because I allow the theme to spark my imagination. Right. I agree with with Adam that the theme has made us think that certain mechanics work well for certain themes because they always have been used in that way. Like a tile laying game works very well for building a map, whether you're playing Carcassonne or Suburbia. If you've got a little piece of a map on a tile and you place it down now when we think tile laying games we're always thinking of maps and then you go well that that obviously tile laying fits that map theme very very well because nobody else has really used it differently or i haven't played a game like that however there are definitely some mechanics that don't work in any way other than how they've always been used i think anyway like uh, dungeon crawling. You're moving some sort of miniature or something that represents your character over different spaces, whether they're squares or hexagons, to complete a goal. And that mechanic is thoroughly wrapped in whatever theme that is, but it's your character moving in a space. You know what I mean? What's the mechanic you're talking about? Uh, moving a character from one space to another. I mean, there's lots of places where we can think of that mechanic used somewhere else, right? Yeah, he's saying in dungeon, that's the only way he can think of that dungeon crawling works. So games where you move your person from one spot to another? Yep. I guess chess... I mean, there's lots of kitty games that do this, right? Like most kid games, you're just moving. You're like Monopoly or something, or like, like I have all like a bunch of like little yeah, I guess. Kid games upstairs where you're moving your person from here to there. I guess so, but I really think that like a dungeon crawler, like Imperial Assault or Gloomhaven, where you're you are moving your person from one space to another space, is inherently different than the movement you're doing in Monopoly. Or snakes and ladders, or whatever. Right. Maybe it's just more. Is that freedom. because of the the board? Maybe that you're looking at behind it. Like you're moving yeah, your sure. your person in route too. Like you're moving it across a trail from one spot to another all the time. Right. But the, the art behind the move is showing you that you're moving from one camp or whatever to another camp. And because they art definitely. Would, 
You can do it without the the lines in between the different clearings as long as the shapes are correct and only allowing you have adjacency to the clearings that the lines currently allow you to have. Right. But if you talk about if you talk about books or movies, there's something called and I know there's discussion online whether it's actually a thing, but suspended disbelief where you allow things that can't actually happen in real life. You just accept that they happen in this movie or in this world, right? And I think we do the same thing in board games, and I think it is important to the game. Um, and I know you're not saying it's not, but I theme is important because if you're not hooked into a game, you're not gonna be not gonna like it. It's like Matt's distaste of Azul. It's because there's no theme for him to grab onto. Mm-hmm. Right. So what I'm trying to suggest isn't that theme is not important. I'm actually suggesting that it's way more important. Well, that okay <gasps> with that statement. Like, like if someone took like, like like my example, if someone took root and made those those lizard cult things make a friend and be a meanie, right? <laughs> like <laughs> that is the theme and that's bad, right? But so, someone's okay, so, theme was convert and sacrifice. So that right, is right. the theme and it makes the difference, right? So here's here's another thing. Betrayal is one of my favorite games. Mechanically it sucks, but thematically it's amazing. Agreed. And so the theme carries it. Yep. And I think exactly. that's yep, kind sure. of what you're adjacent to what you're saying. Yeah. So. I wonder if you can make a betrayal at House on the Hill game, but themed on civil engineering. Really boring. <laughs> <laughs> Shots fired, Daryl. And Alex. I had another sort of tangential thought to this and that's i think there's an inherent maybe rule to this that there is there is required complexity when you want your theme to match your mechanics and and incorporate them well like if we think of games like skull or hive those are very very simple and there's there's nothing that really matches anything right it's just a fun game that you can play but that's because they're so simple there's no rules to say to, to be the Scottish in Skull, you have to do this, and these are the conditions for you here, and like none of that exists, right? It's all the same for everybody. It's pure simplicity, um, and I couldn't think of any of those kind of like really simple games that kind of broached into this territory where we would even talk about the theme incorporating the mechanic in any way. I think For Sale does it pretty well. For, for Sale, yeah, I haven't played that one. I yeah. think. You consider camel up as part of this? I think that's a little more complex. Hard to think of that game as complex. Yeah, but the systems in not. it work. Yeah, that's true. I, I don't mean if you compare either of those to Skull, where right you flip a thing over, right? But I could compare it to Hive. I think like each of the Hive pieces moves in a different way depending on what bug it is, right? That's complex. right, but you could you could make that animals, you could make that uh, spirits oh, or something. In, in you could make that like there's you know it, yeah it does match, but there's you can make that literally game, anything. I don't know, maybe it falls under the same heading as Camelot, but Ukatoa has is very tied to its theme, where you have a sea monster attacking a ship, but the mechanics are dead simple. You play a card right. and move a guy. 
but it's I'd say the theme is necessary for that game. It would not work with another theme very well that I can think of. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, I think we've exhausted this or, or at least ourselves. Have, <laughs> yeah. Do you guys have anything you want to finish off with? I think so. Okay. I like your okay. social experiment with the fantasy stuff. I think that's interesting. What, that it's uh, the most prevalent board game yeah. theme out there? Um, like there's, there's clearly like a sociological part of this too, right? Like fantasy is just, it's popular in and out of board games. It's, it's right. Lord of the Rings. It's, it's, you know, it's everywhere, It's actually, right? it's interesting. Shut up and sit down another podcast, which is, you should all go listen to. Um, they talk about fantasy specifically and there's a few times through the episodes where they talk about it being so overused but mm -hmm. i think it was in one of the more recent episodes one of them said yeah but sometimes you just want fantasy because it's comforting and it's a good theme and it's overused yeah. for a reason right because it's yep. just so prevalent yep mm -hmm. same with trains yeah, I def can't I get definitely tired of trains nerd culture definitely inspires board games for sure and the fact that Lord of the Rings and like the Sword of Shannara series, like they're really old and nerds have loved them for a long time. They inspire oh. more yeah. nerd culture, which is board games. Case in and the point, D&D with... &D is Lord of the Rings. Yeah, exactly. And then There's you can take that further. There's something about that mix of like medieval with other stuff that is just... There's something like Fascinating. It, like it, it incorporates like a bit of a historical aspect to it, right? Like we're so brought yeah. topic now, but there's like <laughs> a historical part to it. And and when you were talking about it, I was thinking about like I play Paradox video games and I will often choose between Stellaris and Crusader Kings. I'll choose Crusader Kings for the exact same reason, because there's that that element of the fantasy, even though it's only medieval, that draws me in. Right. Yeah, for sure. I don't think we have any emails from our listeners. So if you, sent us, if you sent us one, then we would uh, be able to read it next episode, which should be in two weeks. We release every Thursday, unless something has gone every crazy other Thursday. wrong. No, every other week. Thursday. I, I went two weeks and then I said every Thursday. <laughs> we'll get it. We'll get it one day. Unless something goes crazy wrong and we release on a Friday, then please call us and make sure that we're doing okay. You can email us at theturnturtles at gmail.com. We are on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at TurnTurtlesBG. Thank you for listening to this episode, and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye. Uh... The Turn Turtles were here. That's it for now. Thanks for tuning in.